Welcome. This is the Ag Engineering Podcast, where we talk tools, tips, and techniques to improve the sustainability of your farm. I am your host, Andy Chamberlain from the University of Vermont Extension, and this podcast is supported by Northeast SARE, providing grants and education to advance innovation in sustainable agriculture. We're trying to improve the industry by chatting with farmers and getting their input on tools, tips, or techniques that have changed the way they farm for good. Many of these practices affect multiple areas of the farm. Whether it be environmentally, emotionally, physically, or financially, we share the knowledge to promote sustainable agriculture, lifestyle, and business. Thanks for having a listen. Now, let's get started. Today's episode comes to you from Bennington, Vermont, where we chat with Chris Callahan of UVM Extension. He's been with Extension over eight years, working with vegetable farms on many different kinds of projects. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Nice to join you. So if you could describe what you do in one sentence, what would you say? (laughs) Only one sentence. Okay. Um, What I do is try to help... The people who make food uh, and grow food do it better uh, using um, technology when it makes sense, uh, in a nutshell. So for those of you that don't know, Chris is my boss, so we work quite closely together, and I thought it was time to bring him onto the show as part of the ag engineering team uh, of UVM Extension. So today we specifically wanted to talk about pre-cooling. So Chris, what is pre-cooling? When we're talking about pre-cooling, we're, we're talking about um, a post-harvest practice. So we've got produce that's been harvested, and um, we want to bring it down to storage temperature as quickly as possible. And so pre-cooling is a, a series of or a collection of tools and systems we can use to, to rapidly reduce the temperature of what we've worked so hard to produce. So I know there's a few different ways to do pre-cooling. What's a couple different ways that a farm could uh, implement this practice? Yeah, that's let's go from simplest, most common to most advanced, least common. And uh, one very simple thing that can be done is is just storing harvested produce in the shade. And so this is most commonly done right out at the field prior to moving it into a wash pack shed or a cooler. And so just having some shade is actually a really simple zero energy way of um, helping to bring field temperature down. Um, the, the next the next uh, most common practice is probably just what we call room cooling. So you have a cool bot room or a, a cooler, a walk-in cooler, and that, you know, just placing product in that cooler uh, packed um, in, in harvest crates or, um, uh, containers and just allowing the product to come down to temperature uh, naturally by sitting in the room. Um, getting a little bit more advanced might be something like forced air cooling. And I think we're going to probably talk more about that in a minute, but the idea is bringing, bringing that cool air in a cooler across the product inside containers to, to bring the temperature down even more quickly. Hydrocooling is another approach where you use cool water or cold water to um, with product immersed in it to bring the temperature down. And then there's even, there's even more fancy stuff. Like obviously you can ice product if you have an ice maker um, and you can uh, use vacuum cooling as well, sort of more advanced techniques. 
There's quite a few different ways to cool your crops now that you bring it up and we think about it. Yeah. So what issues or pain point would um, forced air cooling or, or any of these cooling practices really help to eliminate? Yeah. So I think it's important to just, just, just ground ourselves by remembering that um, produce is alive. And what, what we're working on here is trying to reduce the rate of respiration. So those are the fact that produce is alive means it's going to continue to um, consume sugars and pr- convert those sugars um, even in storage, even after, you know, after harvest. And so the way we control that is by controlling temperature and by reducing temperature in particular. In particular. So we're, we're really trying to slow that respiration way down. And so what's, what are the pain points? Well, it's any, it's really just about any quality loss in storage, uh, short of freezing <laughs> or, or chilling injury. Um, you know, but, uh, maybe you're seeing, um, wilt in greens and maybe you're seeing, um, shriveling in some, some larger fruit, um, drying out, for example. Um, these are all things that, um, can happen as a result of just excessive production of heat by the crop. Um, and oftentimes we're, we're, when we first see that, we think, oh man, cooler's too dry. And that may be, but it would have to be a very extreme case of, uh, low humidity to cause that. Generally what you're seeing is the result of just bulk heat being produced in, uh, by the crop itself. And so pre-cooling is really all about bringing that temperature down all throughout the crop and in what it's packaged in. So, um, that that's number one. And of course, what that leads to is happier customers, greater, greater storage life, greater storage quality. Um, so getting that temperature down is, is really an important first step in securing the cold chain and the cold chain leads to product quality. So aside from harvesting it early in the morning or, uh, in the night while the product's still cool, what, are some of the what's some of the equipment that is used for all these different practices of hydro cooling, forest air cooling, and whatnot? Yeah, so for for a hydro cooling, you know, it could be as simple as a dunk tank filled with well water, and you know, we want to be a little bit careful with hydro cooling um, because of the risk of infiltration. Um, so, especially in hollow core um, fruits, if you dunk them in water that's quite a bit cooler than the than the fruit or or is then it can lead to infiltration we want we want to be careful about that typically the the rule of thumb is keep the water uh, no more than 10 degrees cooler than than the fruit um so that could it could be as simple as a dunk tank with just well water right if you consider what field heat generally is or what the temperature of the produce generally is well water is pretty good um it could be fancier than that it could include a chiller uh, something that actually makes the water uh, much cooler than well water. I've seen uh, growers use um, dairy bulk tanks and just chill at, um, you know, two, 300 gallons or more of water and then use that as a final, uh, a final dunk on, for example, a greens washing line. Uh, so get the greens right down to 34 degrees before going in the cooler. Um, and they've seen great, great um, storage life benefit. Um, so that's for hydro cooling. Um, there are large hydro coolers or custom, you know, uh, specific, uh, systems specifically built for hydro cooling. Uh, don't see many of those in, in our, in the, uh, on the farms we work with. 
uh, forced air cooling. Um, well, you know, the work that you and I did, Andy, did in terms of pulling together some simple plans for forced air cooling plenums uh, with fans that just allow um, allow a, a step above room cooling in a walk-in cooler or even in a cool-bodied room where uh, we're, we're pulling air directly over over the crates, our harvest cartons. Um, and, it, and it goes gets more complicated from there. Um, vacuum coolers are very specific systems um, that usually come, come at a pretty significant cost and require a fair bit of maintenance and specific operational training. Um, icing, of course, is, is uh, something that a number of growers do, especially for things like broccoli um, that, that um, have a fair bit of mass, but also benefit from low temperatures throughout distribution and storage. So on one hand, you mentioned earlier, uh, about keeping the water temperature only 10 degrees less than the crop due to infiltration. Uh, but then uh, in your next sentence, you said you can use well water, which can be way colder than uh, ambient or uh, or chilled water. So do you need to worry about infiltration on all crops or really just like the tomatoes and melons? Yeah, I... I used to think it was, I mean, my understanding used to be that it was really just the hollow core um, crops, you know, things with seed cavities, if you will. Um, but I, I've seen some more recent work that actually points to infiltration, even in greens. And I think it's less infiltration, more um, yeah, it's capillary um, draw. So the the veins of the leaves are actually pulling the water in and rehydrating. So kind of regardless of what we call it, it's, it looks like it's actually a fairly common thing in, in all, in almost all crops where you, you take a crop, you put it in water, it's going to absorb that water one way or another. Um, so it's important to be careful about that, but I, I guess you kind of want that at some point, at some aspect to, to kind of hydrate the leaf and keep it crispy. Right. So it's kind of catch 22, I guess. Yeah. And, and again, whenever we're using water, um, that's coming into contact with produce. We want to make sure that that's safe and uh, sanitary water, right? So um, the, the issue with infiltration, of course, is that it might draw in stuff that's on the surface of the crop, which could be a problem. I guess it makes sense to keep that dunk tank water pretty pretty fresh and clean then. Yeah, and the other thing, Andy, is you know stepping. Think if you have multiple tanks in your line or multiple places where water is used, think about, maintaining temperatures of those different sources of water in sort of a staged step down, right? So you got field temperature on the one hand coming in, and maybe the first rinse is slightly warmer than what the final, the final or subsequent rinses might be, right? So you can step your weight down to it. Yeah. And of course, they'll probably kind of get that way based on the two things, the way they fill the tanks, because it's going to take fill the hoses and the pump first before that real 40, 50 degree water gets to the tank. So your second tank might be colder. And two, the first tank is going to warm up the most because that's taking out the most field yeah. heat. So right. I guess that might kind of happen naturally. Yeah. So for these different ways of cooling, is the equipment particularly expensive? Um, it certainly can be, you know, I think like most things, there's a range of possibilities and range of options. Uh, it was one of the reasons why I was so interested in working on some of these simple forced air cooler, uh, systems is just seeing what we could do for relatively, um, relatively low budgets. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about some 
some common building materials and lumber and plywood um, with the, you know, the most significant cost being the fans or the blowers that we use for, for doing the forced air cooling. Um, so I'm trying to remember, I think that's essentially under $200 for, for those again, with most of the cost being in the blower. Yeah. $198. And so, you know, those plans are online um, and you're bringing your own labor to it, uh, but it's not significant labor. Um, you know, so something like a pop-up tent at the edge of the field is for, for providing initial shade during harvest is you know pretty pretty low cost option as well. Um, certainly can spend a fair bit of money on this. I've I've seen vacuum coolers, for example, that are you know size of a tractor trailer or larger, and um, all sorts of refrigerant uh, systems running and um, you know, those are not small dollar items, but uh, I think what we've come up with is actually fairly accessible for for farms um, that we work with. And again, hydro cooling can be fairly straightforward. Um, and it and really sort of the the important thing is paying attention to the details of the temperature of that water. But it can be as simple as a tank and you know, well water, like we said. Yeah, and even even the cost of a tank is going to be close to a hundred dollars. So. Between one and two hundred dollars, I guess, is what it takes to really get started with this, whether it be hydro cooling or forced air, yep, or shade. You know, at pop up tents, a couple hundred dollars too. Right, right. So there is some cost to this. Some cost could be quite steep if you get into vacuum cooling or uh, a large scale hydro cooling uh, conveyor type system. But what are the financial savings of pre cooling? You mentioned shelf life, obviously. So that's gonna increase right and you know it, it's sometimes difficult to put a put a um a number on what you gain economically from having higher quality produce for example or um higher quality produce for longer for a longer marketing period because sometimes it comes down to a sales opportunity or a market opportunity that's a, a bit variable but the the what this buys is a little bit of peace of mind, a little bit of um, convenience as well. So your harvest window can be a little bit more flexible because you now have a way of bringing temperature down predictably. Um, so maybe there's, you know, there's some scheduling benefit or some labor benefit. You can, you can um, get more, more people on um, a specific, harvesting task um, sooner, for example, and knowing that you have the capacity to deal with it in the cooler. Um, so yeah, we, we haven't done real hard economic savings um, estimates on this, but it really does come down to just flexibility in um, harvesting and flexibility in marketing. You're, you're going to be able to have a, a longer marketing period for the product. There may also be, you know, you might be able to reach new, newer, different markets or more discerning markets as well who are willing to pay a higher, higher price. Um, I've, I haven't seen it as much of that as I would have expected, but I think there's a possibility there. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's kind of expected that you have crops for as long and consistently as possible. So I guess it can just kind of help keep up that standard. Yeah. If there was one pre-cooling tool that you would choose to implement on the small scale farm that we work with, what would you recommend investing in? That's a great question. Um, the, the, 
the one thing that I've had most farms come back to me with and say, man, am I glad I did that, <laughs> is, is as simple as a thermometer. Um, an instant read um, piercing probe thermometer that can actually measure pulp temperature. So um, understanding, and, and the reason why, well, on the one hand, there's that. On the other hand, there's also USB temperature loggers or remote uh, wireless uh, temperature monitoring. The, the, the thing those two tools bring to you is visibility into things that you weren't seeing before. And so in the first case, um, if you're not monitoring pulp temperature, you don't really know what your, what temperature your product's at. You know, if you're depending on the, the, if you're depending on the cooler thermo, thermo, thermostat to tell you, um, what temperature things are at, that's, that's a long way from the melon at the center of the, the, the palate, right? So being able to know what temperature you actually have in, in, in the product is, is, in, is really enlightening and has changed practice for, a uh, number of growers I, I've worked with. The USB um, data loggers, temperature uh, loggers in particular, and um, uh, or, or wireless mo uh, temperature monitors are, the cool thing about those is you can watch it and, and log it in real time. And so you can actually see, you can do side-by-side -side tests. You know, what if, if my greens are in this container in the walk-in cooler versus that container in the walk-in cooler, how they, they cool at different rates. Um, and that, has, in particular, that has really influenced the practices at one large um, greens producer we work with, where um, they've they've changed their harvest containers as a result because the the containers they had were fairly uh, they held a lot of greens, which was good on the one hand, but that's also a lot of mass that has to cool down. They were invented, and so uh, made it difficult for the the real um, for the cool air to get in. You know, ultimately, they also really started to depend a little bit more on their dunk tank to to cool the greens rather than um, the the walk-in cooler. So it actually changed the the flow on the farm. That's one thing that um, I learned a lot on the forced air cooling project that you mentioned earlier that we worked on, and I'll, I'll have another episode just on that coming up later. But uh, we we used these temperature loggers to to track it real time, track the pulp temperature, and it was really cool to see uh, how warm a melon actually stays. You think you throw it in the cooler, so therefore it's cool and and it's good, but turns out it actually takes like twenty four hours for a melon to actually reach the cooler temperature. Um, but if you implement forced air cooling, you can do it in half the time. So uh, that was something that was just like really interesting. Yeah, it's it's sometimes helpful. Um, in some sometimes it's not really intuitive to think about heat transfer, <laughs> which which is a what I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about. And so it, sometimes it might be helpful just to think about your 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 yourself, your body. And you know, if you are wrapped in blankets on a summer day, right? <laughs> we know what's going to happen. And you take the blankets off, and you stand in in um, in still air and you're probably still warm but not as warm as you were right and so that's the idea of maybe you take the the melons and you spread them out a little bit and they're in they're still in a pallet in a cooler but then if you stand in front of a fan now we're talking right now you can feel yourself getting cool and so 
that's really what we're talking about when we do intentional pre-cooling and in particular forced air cooling is we're taking the air, the cool air and blowing it over the product um, to, to bring the, the, the temperature down more quickly. And I should say some people get, get nervous about drying product out when you do that. And um, the, the key to remember there is um, unless you really have a very dry cooler, which again, I, I believe is fairly uncommon. Um, the, the air in the cooler is actually quite humid. And so there just isn't a whole lot of capacity to pick up moisture. So it, it shouldn't be drying anything out. Um, and so I'm, I just want to encourage people to, to not be afraid of forced air cooling in their cooler because of concerns over drying. It shouldn't be happening. That was a great little comparison there with, with your person and thinking about just like how, how you cool or how a crop cools. I mean, it's not complicated when you think about it, but you typically don't stop and think about how something's cooling. You just want to get the crop in the cooler and move on to your next thing. So makes a lot of sense. That was a good way to put it. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't bring up yet? So a lot of our work in this area was, was funded by a SARE research and education project, and that's USDA, Northeast SARE, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. So just want to uh, acknowledge that support and thank SARE for their continued support of this, this kind of work focused on bringing sustainable practices to agriculture in the Northeast. Um, and just wanted to note that a lot of uh, what we've talked about is on our website. Uh, on the AgEng blog at go.uvm.edu slash AgEng. And I know Andy will include specific links in the show notes and probably highlight a few. That's right. So uh, if you want to contact us at all, visit our blog, as Chris just mentioned, and that's where you can find out more information on pre-cooling, hydro-cooling, forced air cooling. We've got quite a few articles on all those subjects. So thanks, Chris, for coming on the show and giving an overview of pre-cooling. Andy, thanks for being an awesome guy and uh, for for being a great part of the work we do. And thanks for getting this podcast going. I think it's been really great to see it develop and grow and uh, really appreciate the work you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you learned something today or plan to make a change on your farm, let me know. I'd love to receive any feedback you have. Just click the link in the description to submit the form. It will help the future of this podcast to be a resource that is helpful for you. And while you're at it, I hope you go ahead and subscribe, share this with a friend, or leave a comment. And if you want more information, check out the show notes on our website at agengpodcast.com. That's A-G-E-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day. The proceeding has been a production of University of Vermont Extension. For more information on Extension, log on to www.uvm.edu extension.